before we begin the sermon, we have a really special time this morning of baby dedication, something I really look forward to. And uh, we have some families that are going to dedicate their children this morning. So uh, why don't the families come up? We'll start over here. We'll just kind of line up right along here with your family. Either one, we'll use both. All right. What I would like to do, this is so fun. Um, what I would like to do is have uh, one of the, either mom or dad, introduce your family and then give whatever scripture that you have for your child. So each, each family will uh, introduce their family. And then uh, it doesn't matter. Mom or dad can then read the scripture or also obviously introduce the family. Which side would like to start? You know, Jimmy, why don't we start over here? Okay. Uh, my name is Jimmy Allen. This is my wife, Shannon. This is uh, Bryson and Feisty AJ. <laughs> well, Shannon wanted to say a few things first. I just hope that these two little boys can be a hope to everyone that's trying to have a family or um, may want to adopt because Jimmy and I have been together 10 years and have had the desire to be parents and God has blessed, heard every tear, every desire we've had and has blessed us with these two little boys this year. Okay, and the reason why we chose to dedicate to them today is from Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, so that Christ may dwell, you want to hold it for me? So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that being, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. <laughs> that was great. Hello, uh, my name is Jason Griggs, and this is my wife Whitney. We're going to trip up here, and uh, this little girl is Vivian Violet, and we also have a 11-year-old uh, Madeline Rose and a 7-year-old Camille Iris. And um, verse we chose for Vivian is. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The, law, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? My name is Phil Cook. This is my wife, Sally, and our son, Forrest. And uh, we also chose Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Uh, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Hi, my name is Jen Nyer, and this is my husband, Drew, and our son, Oliver Waldo. And we chose for him um, Hebrews 12:28, and it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let, our, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Hi, my name is Justin Williamson. This is my wife, Lena. Uh, we have our son, Jonathan, and our daughter, Annie. And uh, verses. <laughs> we have a little bit more to juggle than they do. <laughs> Wait, hold it for you? <laughs> for Jonathan, we chose uh, Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the strength of my salvation, and my stronghold. And for Annie, we have uh, Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I'm Chris Cox. This is my wife, Sarah, and our little girl, Brinkley, and she's the younger sister of Sonny, um, who's sitting out there. And uh, we chose a verse from Philippians chapter 1. With verse 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Good morning. My name is MJ Westy. This is my wife, Jennifer. This is Leland. This is Caden, and then our little boy Grayson is being dedicated. The verse we chose for Grayson is Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so first I have a question for them and at the end if you would agree with my question then you answer yes and then I'm going to turn and ask you all a question as well all right all right is it your desire to teach your children and pray for your children helping them grow to maturity in Jesus Christ and to the best of your ability will you be a Christ-like example by your words and through your actions if so answer yes And for you, why don't we stand up while I ask you this question? You know, we ask these questions and, and uh, we just kind of go through sometimes in church is kind of ritualistic. Please don't take this as, as a ritual of any kind. This is something we take very seriously here. It's difficult to, to raise a family and uh, we want to do it together as a body, come alongside these families. So I'm going to ask you a question. Would you promise to pray for these families during the challenging years to come? Will you encourage, protect, and love them as they try to raise their children in a way that would honor Jesus Christ? If so, answer yes. Okay. Now, here's my favorite part. I'd like the families to come down, and you can sit. There's some seats right here. All the families can go down with their children and find a seat. I think Lisa actually has the, do you have the names on there, Lisa, specifically. They're just reserved. Okay, so pick whatever seat you'd like to pick. Once they find their seats, we're going to ask, I'm going to ask you to come forward as the body of Christ and we're going to lay hands 
on these families and pray for them. Got enough room? There's more over here. Okay. Why don't the families come forward and the whole church family come forward? And if you're just laying your hand on the back of the person in front of you, that's totally fine too. But let's surround them. Come around them up here. Let's lay hands on them and I'll say a dedication prayer. Before the kids melt down, we'll pray for them. (laughs) Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray for these families as they seek to live out your will for their lives. We pray for their protection through the challenging years to come. Father, we ask that you give them wisdom and discernment as they try to help their children grow in Christ Father, as they try to help their children grow up in Christ-like character, that they would seek after you and love you with all their hearts. May they put their trust in you at all times as they try to live out your word in all circumstances. Father, may these families be a testimony of your mercy and your grace. And Father, as we lay hands on these families and on these children, We pray that you would raise these young ones up, Lord, boys and girls, that you'd raise them up to be in love with you, that you would clearly help them see their purpose. Father, that you'd use them in a powerful way to make a difference in this world. And may that begin even now. Father, we we, we lay our hands of love upon them and pray for their protection Pray for your mercy and your guidance and your love throughout their lives, Lord, as they as they go through challenging times in their own lives, that they would seek after you for the answers that they so desperately need. We love them and we love you. We love these families and we dedicate this time and we dedicate these children to you in Jesus precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Now for the next five minutes, go back and find your seat. (laughs) All right, you're finding your seats. Um, If you are here for the first time, um, I need to give a little background to this sermon as well as this series. And uh, if you are here for the first time, you've probably never been to a service quite like the the sermon, quite like what you're going to hear this morning. It's a little bit different. Let me give you a little background. 17 years old. I was 17 years old the first time I actually went to church. Uh, Never been to to church uh, before, you know, on and off, maybe Easter, Christmas, once in a while. And... uh, I was invited by a friend to come to this church service and uh, I went, it was a youth group service. So I went in and I, I went to the youth group service with a friend of mine and we were in the house and I'll kind of make this quick. 
because uh, I know a lot of you have heard this already. Uh, went in there, uh, was, you know, thought it was okay, thought it was nice, the nice people there. And as I was sitting there, everything was going fine until the youth pastor broke out Play-Doh. And he wanted us to play with Play-Doh and give, you know, give something to someone that reminds you of something. Well, at 17, I was more of a hood at that point, And uh, I really didn't want to play with Play-Doh. I uh, didn't want to see my friends ever catch me playing with Play-Doh. And so I, my friend and I, who went for the first time, we were like getting our strategy together, how to get out of this whole thing. We put ourselves in a position where we really couldn't get around the other students there, so we ended up staying. And as we sat there thinking and contemplating how we're going to make our move when they, when they were done playing with Play-Doh, a young lady named Anne-Marie walked up to me and gave me uh, 40 smile faces, like the ones you see here, like, like that, in late 70s, early 80s. She walked up and gave me 40 smile faces and said, we're all glad you're here. Well, that made a tremendous difference in my life. It really melted a hard heart and at least gave me an opportunity to come back a second time. I would have probably not come back to that youth group a second time. But because of that gesture, it really it really allowed me the openness to come back and be a part of that group. And obviously I'm standing up here now, so you know the end result of all of that. That was 30 some odd years ago. Fast forward from that time, 17 to uh, 30 years later. I'm sitting in my house on Facebook, kind of uh, talking to some friends or whatever, and I get a, uh, you know, a, a friend, uh, you know, someone wants to, wants to friend me, and so I click on there, look at who it is, and I'm thinking, Anne Marie, I know that name, I know that name, and I click on to see your face, and I say, wait a second, that's the same person who gave me those smile faces I spent a couple of years uh, with in youth group and a friendship, just uh, getting to know her and the other students in the youth group. I I was working with a youth pastor there, and so it was great to, to see an old friend. And I remember, I remember she was the one who gave me the smile faces. That made it even better. That made it even more exciting for me. Um, I've told you this before, but I actually still have three or four of those smile faces. Uh, I have some 33 or 40-year-old Play-Doh, some of my office and at my home. That's how significant these are to me. So she gets on there, and I start to tell her, you know, um, I want you to look at grace-chapel.com, self-sustaining at sseinc.org and backtobackministries.org. And I want you to look at that and I want you to know what an impact that you've had um, th- through, you know, your gesture uh, to the, in the world. You've, you've made a difference in the world just by the fact that you reached out to me and showed me that love. Um, she writes back and says, that's just amazing. That's wonderful. Our lives have taken totally different courses. Um, I, I no longer follow God at all. Um, she wouldn't call herself an atheist, but she does not believe in God whatsoever. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, anything. Uh, she, um, and so she made that very clear, but she was very friendly when we're, we're friends. So we, so we talked and as a pastor, I couldn't let that pass. And so I asked a lot of questions on why she said it was, at that time for her it was more social. She came to church cause it was social, a lot of other kids. And, and so it was fun for her. But once she got to college and everything, she just kind of let it go and moved on with her life. Well, again, being in my position, uh, and being, having someone, you know, maybe if it was someone else, I would have just said, well, you know, I would have said why and asked a couple of questions. But being the fact that it was Anne Marie and the fact that she had such a profound impact on my life, that I don't think she understood the significance of that gesture. I was so hard hearted and angry, bitter um, at 17 years old that that one, it was it was literally like God reaching down his hand, knowing exactly what to do in that situation to get me to come back the second time. And so I wouldn't let this relationship just go. And so I started asking questions and we started going back to and forth. And at one point she said, um, she said, I'm a happy heathen. And she said, why don't you do a sermon series someday on this? All these questions that we're asking back and forth called conversations with a happy heathen. So a year and a half ago or so I did. 
And we went about uh, 10 weeks on that, eight or 10 weeks. And uh, these conversations continue. I have about 700 posts back and forth on Facebook. And uh, we just continue to talk. So that's the background to this. So usually I'm walking back and forth, raising up my hands. And, you know, I can't talk without my hands. Uh, in this situation, this is a conversation that we're having back and forth. So it'll be a little bit different. I'll do more reading um, of our posts than I, than I will actually preaching. So it's a little bit different this morning. Next week, we start a new series and we go back to normal. But as long as Anne-Marie um, is where she is in her opinion, we'll be posting each other back and forth until we're probably old people and she comes to Christ because I will ultimately prevail. Um, <laughs> now, if she goes online and hears that, I probably made a mistake because it'll solidify her view a little more. So there, there, therein lies how we lay this whole thing out. So these are back and forth conversations. So I entered in this, 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 this title, this sermon is titled The Compatibility of Faith and Reason. Okay, we're going to go through that. So here's what I wrote to her to begin this conversation. We had an opportunity to go to a conference in Hawaii. And while we were there, I had an amazing experience. It'll get us into another spiritual discussion, I'm sure. But I really look forward to sharing it with you soon. I do. I do want to hear about your amazing experience. My imagination is running without more info. A skywriter? Mary's face on a potato chip? I can keep going, so you'll have to stop me. Um, she's funny. Um, the Skywriter one, if, you, if you're here for the first time, you never heard this before. The Skywriter reference, and I won't keep stopping going through this, but this is, a, this is pretty cool. When we first started talking, and you know, I understand the significance of the smile faces. When we first started talking, um, she went to Disney about two months into our discussion. And as she looks up at Disney in Disney World, there's a skywriter going across that writes God plus you equals smile face. OK, now she said it's all coincidence, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, I see it differently. I think that's a little too much coincidence for me. So here's how I responded, though, to what she's just written. I have to give you a little background to help set the stage for my experience. Like I told you, my last post, 2010, was challenging. When you're, in a, when you're in a position like mine, it can often be draining. You also suffer a lot of loss as a pastor, not always from death, but from transition, especially in an economic time like this. I've had some close friends transfer out of Ohio. When life is normal, it's hard. When life is challenging, it stretches the soul. From the very beginning of my Christian walk, I've been involved in leadership. If you remember back at Park Church in New York, I helped lead almost the moment I became a Christian. Rich and Peg, who are youth pastors at the time, were always there to encourage and support me. But after they moved to California, I was on my own. All that to say, leadership can be difficult. When we were in Hawaii, I was, it, was, uh, it was the first time that Deb and I had some time, real time, to step back and really reflect on some of the recent challenges we've been through. She understands because she lives it with me. Later, I told her I needed to start studying for the next week's sermon. I said that I go, I get up early, go into the, the, the bathroom, which is, you know, we're in a hotel room. And so the only place to get light, you know, I mean, to get some, some light is in the bathroom and close the door. I said I go in the bathroom and close the door so she could sleep. She said that I should go out in the balcony because it would give me enough light. It wasn't the sun wasn't up at that point, but there was enough light and the weather was so beautiful. And that was very true. The next morning I got up and went outside. I sat down and put my feet up on the railing. 
I was going to start a new series that Sunday on the Ten Commandments, so my mind was really focused on God the Father. I was studying for about 25 minutes, and this is, this, this, I wish, you know, I, I, I want to read through it, but it was, to describe the feeling is just unbelievable. I was focused so much on God the Father because I was going through the Ten Commandments, so my whole, the whole weeks before, God the Father, God the Father, Ten Commandments, so... I was studying for about 25 minutes, focused on God the Father, when a beautiful white dove landed about eight inches from my feet, which were up on this rail. I was 15 stories up, and I was sure that when the bird saw me, it would just fly away, but it didn't. When it landed, I was amazed, a beautiful white dove coming out of the sky and sitting with me. My mind immediately went to the Holy Spirit for obvious reasons. So now my heart is centered on God the Father and the Holy Spirit. I sat there, it sat there with me for over a minute. As I looked at this beautiful bird, it was in direct line with the rising sun. In those 60 to 90 seconds, the sun broke the horizon directly behind the dove. The timing, I can't describe to you, the timing was absolutely perfect. And when I say I was sitting on a chair, my feet were up on the rail, the dove landed about eight inches from my feet. I didn't have to, I didn't have to move around to, to describe the, what, what happened next. I mean, the sun... The sun came up, the horizon broke right directly in my line of sight with the dove. It was absolutely incredible. The timing was perfect. The light was all around him, his body outlined by the sun. It was a visual I will never forget and a feeling I will always treasure. Now I had it all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The bird flew away, and as I sat there, quietly God began to speak to my heart. You know, when, when this happened, um, I just, my notes, well, study schmutty, you know what I mean? I put the notes down and I just started asking God, you know, God, obviously you're, you're trying to speak to my heart here. So I just became quiet and listened to God and God spoke to my heart. He said, I am with you and I will bless you. You are never alone. You know, and you go through, how many had a tough year in 2010? Anybody besides me? Okay. Yeah. Like most of the church. Okay. Um, for God to say that, you know, going through, you, you, you go through things and you feel like you're kind of alone sometimes. And God said, you are never alone. Now, I have to be honest, I was hoping for and all the challenging times would end. You know, I, I always wanted to plant that in my head as I was sitting there. I was trying to make God say that to me in a sense, uh, uh, but it never came. Bummer. Um, God then reminded me who sent me out to the balcony, Deb, and who brought me to Hawaii, friends from church. God was saying to me that this experience was not just for me, that the blessings were not just meant for me, but for those around me, for our church body. And I I heard that loud and clear. Because once God spoke to my heart and said, you are never alone. I am here with you. I will bless you. The thought came into my mind without any, who told you to come out here in the balcony? It was my wife. And who brought you here to Hawaii and made it made, made paid your way to get here and where people it was some friends from church. It, had given, it, 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 it has given me the encouragement that I need to keep pressing forward with, with our vision. God reminded me that I am all uh, that I may not always have what I want, but I will always have what I need. And that was a true great blessing for me. Smiling a little wider, Jeff. You're a sweet man, Jeff Greer. Thanks for sharing that experience. It seems magical. You took a mental picture. Click. Don't forget it. It's so funny how we have completely different sensibilities about life and meaning. But I like you anyway. 
I'm certain it wouldn't even cross my mind anything about God or Jesus in that moment with the bird. What would I think about how beautiful the world is? How all creatures and colors and weathers and rocks and flowers and time are interconnected in such an intricate and perfect web. And how lucky of me to be both aware and grateful. Sounds like pastors can sometimes have a lot of pressure. A lot to carry. Even though you're strong, it's okay to take a break now and again. I'm glad Deb can help lighten your load. You're right. We do see the world through different lenses. We have a different worldview. I knew what you were going to say before I even told you the story. But when God meets you where you are and he meets your deepest need, you know it. And we all understand that who have Christ in our hearts. When God meets you right where you are, where you are, right at a point where you have the deepest need, you just know it. Could it be luck and, and good timing? Sure. You could say it's coincidence that while I was studying my sermon on God the Father, a white dove that's not afraid of people sat for 60 to 90 seconds in direct line of sight as the sun rose over the horizon behind it. I mean that. It could be random chance. You have no other choice but to see the world that way. Everything you see, hear, and feel is seen through that limited scope. To you, the supernatural is impossible. But I can choose to open my eyes wider and see through the eyes of faith. I believe there is a God who knows me and loves me so much that he took the time to speak to me in a way that I learn visually. I don't have experiences like that all the time. I really wish I did. But I refuse to create those experiences in my mind. That to me would be intellectually dishonest. I really believe that God exists and I refuse to play religious games in my mind. Even though it may make me feel uh, better sometimes, it lacks legitimacy. I would rather question like Thomas and truly feel the Savior's hands than create an experience in my mind. But I cherish what Jesus said to Thomas. You believe because you have seen. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet still believe. I know what he meant. And, and you guys will resonate with this if you, if you had the year that I had. Okay, You'll resonate with this. I know what he meant. When you are facing life head on and there are no doves in sight, it's not easy. Isn't that true? When you're facing life head on and and you feel like, you know, okay, God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? It isn't easy. It's difficult. I take no offense to your unbelief. I believe that someday God will come to you in a way that is undeniable and unexplainable. And on that day, you will say like I did, truly you are the son of God. I hope, I hope your day is filled with beautiful colors and creatures and flowers and rocks, along with smiles and love, your friend Jeff. I sent that out to her, and it was like dead silent for a couple days. And so I sent her a post, and I knew it would get her, get her going. Did my last post stun you into silence? Uh, as if. No, <laughs> just a little swamp with life, work. I'll get to it, Brother Gear. I knew that was I, I knew that would get a response. Uh, take your time. Now back to your last post. You said everything you see, hear, and feel is seen through that limited scope. To you, the supernatural is impossible. I can choose to open my eyes wider and see through the eyes of faith. I might say exactly the opposite. That is, seeing through the eyes of faith is limited. I guess it's bothersome to me to be judged as having a limited view. I believe in reason, which has afforded mankind all the benefits of science, health, travel, communication, understanding, etc. 
Reason is unlimited, open to all possibilities, grounded and guided by evidence and our best understanding. New discoveries bring new understandings. It's very exciting. And if reason is unlimited and open to all possibilities, why not the possibility of God? My eyes are open to reason and faith. As my dear Ben Franklin said, the way to see by faith is to shut the eye of reason. Mine are stuck wide open. Now, I'm not sure of the context of Ben Franklin's quote, but I would agree with G.K. Chesterton. God is like the sun. You cannot look at it, but without it, you cannot look at anything else. You should know, please, that I don't think that yours is a limited view. It's just a different view, a different way of understanding our beautiful world, and one that is easily explained by science, by the way. I know you don't want to hear that. Oh, well. Unless your faith causes you to harm, or excuse me, unless your faith causes harm to you or others, I make no judgment on what color glasses you choose to wear. You said, I believe someday that God will come to you in a way that is undeniable and unexplainable. And on that day, you will say, like I did, truly you are the son of God. Don't take this the wrong way. I think it's lovely you have this belief. It's just your way of expressing your concern or care for me in the way you know how. It's so heartfelt, and I'm sincerely grateful. I wouldn't change it. And you said that reason is unlimited, open to all possibilities, grounded and guided by evidence and our best understanding. Now, this comes from our past, some, a lot of our past discussions. But I said to her, in our past discussions, you seem to continually capture reason, reason and logic as a humanist prize and infer that Christianity is lacking in both, relying only on faith. And you're going to get this all the time from people. They'll say they'll, they'll capture reason and logic for themselves and they'll say to us believers in Christ, they'll say, you have a blind faith. And they'll kind of pat you on the head and say, that's just sweet. You know what I mean? You, you know, you people with not very intellectual minds. But, you know, on this side, we have intellect going for us. On your side, we have faith. And so I needed to address this because it keeps coming up. So I said, let me try to change your perception. Contrary to what you think, the Bible does not teach blind faith. The opposite is true. The Bible tells its readers to put what it says to the test. It can make such a statement because it passes the test of truthfulness. God himself, in his revelation to Isaiah, says, come now, the Bible says, come now, let us reason together. In Isaiah 1.18, God, the creator of our reasoning ability, wants us to use that ability to determine his purpose and plan for our lives. How do we determine if the Bible is true? We test it and we see if it is reasonable. All believers do that. People just don't pick things up without even reading it and seeing and testing and looking and asking questions and say, I just believe something before they even get into the discussion. We do that as believers. Psalm 19 tells us that the universe declares the glory of God and that this his voice goes out into all the earth. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 15, it tells us the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge and the ears of the wise seek it out. In Proverbs chapter two, in verse six, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Now, I'm going to come and I'm really going to address this whole idea of logic and reason with her. 
The claim that it's illogical, because this comes up again over and over again, the claim that it's illogical to believe in an invisible God, for example, is simply false. I believe that humanists often confuse the question of whether something is logical with whether something is visible. These are totally different issues. Affirming the existence of something is logical if the, if the proposition is logically possible. That is, that it does not contradict itself. My friends, Christianity does not break the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction basically states it is not possible that something is both true and not true in the, in the same, at the same time in the same context. That the statement is true and not true at the same time in the same context. Christianity never breaks the law of non-contradiction. And there are many things that may be logically possible, but are invisible, that are, that are not visible. The reality is there are many things that are, may be logically possible that are in fact false. Evolution, for example, it's logically possible, but it's false. I'm trying to bug you because I know that's really going to bug her. She's really not going to like that at all. Possibility, after all, is not actuality. The claim that, I'll give you an example, the claim that married, the claim that married bachelors exist is illogical. Okay? The claim that married bachelors exist is illogical because the claim married bachelors exist entails that a person both is and is not married at the same time in the same context. This is a contradiction and so violates a fundamental rule of logic. Now, everybody, everybody got their thinking caps on with me? You all say yes. All right. Okay. We all have to be awake. The person next to you, if they're nodding at all, poke them. Okay. All right. If I claim that there's a field of purple grass in my backyard, on the other hand, it may sound false to you, but it's not illogical. There is nothing illogical about the concept of purple field of grass in my backyard. If I painted the grass purple in my backyard yesterday, this possibility would be an actuality. All you need to do is watch a Boise State game to understand my point. Now, all the men are women, too. If you ever watch Boise, ever, ever the first time you ever, who, when the first time you ever saw a Boise State game, did you try to fix your TV? I did. I was like, what on earth kind of grass is that? However, as a matter of fact, the grass in my backyard is green with a few brown patches. But that is not because of any impossibility of it being a reality. So, in the, so the fact that God is invisible does not mean it's illogical. You're just choosing not to believe it. Now, you're sitting back going, okay, that's one of those things you have to get the tape and listen to over and over again to kind of get it down. But here, let me just throw this at you. As I was going through uh, this sermon, I thought, okay, let's think of other things in life that people believe in, okay, invisible things that people would believe in. And one of the things came to mind, which was great, was scientists believe, okay, in invisible planets. They do. They believe in invisible planets based on the evidence of the gravitational pull of objects around them. Right? You go, go online, Google when you get home, uh, hidden planets or whatever planets you want to use, hidden planets and gravitational pull, and you will pull up article after article that scientists believe in invisible planets based on the evidence of a gravitational pull of objects around them. That, my friends, is not illogical. It is not illogical to believe in an invisible planet if you're looking at the evidence of gravitational pull of things around it. Because there's evidence. There is evidence. They call it a stealth planet. I absolutely was reading through it. A stealth planet. So you can believe in a stealth planet. Well, I have a stealth God. Okay? God is invisible. 
But then I started thinking about that for a second. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to sell myself short on this one as a Christian. God, you say, well, God, as people say all the time, well, if there's a God and if he would just come down here and show himself then I'd believe in him. Oh, yeah. He came down 2000 years ago. OK, last week we spent our entire time laying out the, the, the case for Christ. OK, and when it comes to his prophecies and his resurrection from the dead, all these different evidences for, for, for proving that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And what do they want to do? They wanted to stone him. They couldn't argue with the fact that he did miracles. Even in secular writings, they weren't arguing that Jesus did miracles. They just said he was a sorcerer and did it through the power of dark arts and all this kind of thing. So the fact of the matter is that we have evidence of our invisible God all around us. There's evidence for God's existence, the invisible God all around us. Not only that, but Jesus Christ actually being God came to earth and walked around and made himself completely known. So I, even the idea of an invisible God and how, how we can believe in an invisible God doesn't hold water because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who being in very nature, God did come down here and made himself perfectly known. Atheists speak as if belief in God is equal with belief in a one ended stick. And it really bugs me. <laughs> Nothing about logic rules out having premises or assumptions that a person believes in something on the basis of faith. We believe based upon the evidence around us. I don't know about you, but I don't believe in a blind faith that has no reason or logic to it whatsoever. I believe because of the evidence that we have all around us. There is evidence that we can use for the position that we hold in our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not illogical. Logically, logic simply gets you from a premise or a hypothesis to a conclusion. There is nothing in logic that requires the assumption that God does not exist. For anyone to claim that logic and reason are the sole property of humanists is like claiming that eyesight is secular or that memory or consciousness is secular, as these, like logic and reason, are simply methods that we humans naturally use to gain information and understanding about reality. I, and all of us, believe that God is a part of reality. We believe that God is a part of our... Re- this is, he's real. God is real. God is real. Just as we use our eyes to read the Bible or our ears to hear a sermon and we use our memory and experiences to recall what we learn, we can use logic and reason to infer conclusions from them. There has always been, as a belief, there has always been a significant degree of compatibility between faith and reason within Christianity. And the Apostle Paul, he did such a good job. The Apostle Paul provides a diverse understanding of the relationship between the two. A great example of this comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 18. It says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And listen to this. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. And listen to this, because we're going to move into this. This whole series next week is going to have a lot to do with this next phrase, too. Um, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happen to be there. Where do you spend most of your time after you leave here? Right where Paul did, in the marketplace. We spend a couple hours here at church, and then the rest of your week is spent in the marketplace. And Paul is saying, yeah, we come to church. You know, I, I, I debated with the, the, the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks and everything. And then what did Paul do? He said, well, I'm going to wait till next week more people show up, you know. 
start talking again. No, he goes out the other six days of the week and he starts to share in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. So then I jumped. I continue in Acts chapter 17, verses 23 through 28. Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they would inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul presents the unity of God the Father as the creator of all. And he says it, he goes, God is not far from any one of us. He's challenging them to reason through their position. That's what he's doing here. See, it's very interesting. Paul doesn't walk into this context and go, I have no idea what these people think. I don't know anything about their writing. I don't know anything about their philosophies. I'm just completely going in blind. It's important for us as believers to understand this. We need to understand the people that we're talking to. We need to understand where they're coming from, their background. What experiences have they had in the past? You, you spend so much time with people at work, you understand what they think and how they feel, what their experiences were, what their religious backgrounds are and non-religious backgrounds. You understand that. Paul understood, this, understood that. In, in, much, in much of his speech, he addresses the cult, their culture and beliefs. His arguments reflect sympathy with local customs. He handled the subject of idol worship with gentleness and respect. And sometimes Paul didn't, wasn't too gentle. Uh, but he appeals for a new examination of divine truth. Okay, because he understood the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. The Epicureans believed that everything happened by chance. It was just chance. There was no God kind of moving there. So you understand now why Paul's using reason and logic to go through and explain to them. No, 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 no. That's not the way God responds. And you see that in your everyday life. Things don't just happen by chance. Paul's laying that out for the Epicureans. The Stoics didn't believe in a personal God at this point in history. So they didn't believe in a personal God. So then Paul's coming to them and basically laying out, no, we have a personal God who intervenes in every area of our lives and wants us to come into relationship with him. That's why he set the world up the way he has so that we would be drawn to relationship with him. So he looks at the Epicureans and their, their idea of everything's chance. And he looks at the, the Stoics and their idea that everything basically there's, there's no personal God. And Paul addresses each of these items. Now, what he's doing is he's trying to engage them in thoughtful debate, understanding where a person's come from and engaging them in thoughtful debate. Don't argue with people. There's no reason to get into an aggressive argument. That's not that's not what the Bible calls you to do. It says share your faith with gentleness and respect. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the faith that you have with gentleness and respect. So Paul and I looked at the context here. Paul really was in this context was complimenting them. 
You know, there's, you can see this as sarcasm or, you know, hey, people aren't too bright. You know what I mean? You're worshiping the, you know, you don't even know what you're worshiping and blah, blah. That's not what he was doing. I looked at the context and he was actually complimenting them. So, you know, even with idol worship, he wasn't just attacking. He was looking at it and saying, okay, I see that you guys worship a lot of different idols. One of them over here says to an unknown God, let me explain who that God is. Let me challenge your concept of divinity of a, of a God. And then he goes back and he gets into an open debate with them. He wants to engage them in a thoughtful debate. In another passage in Romans chapter 1, which most of you have probably read, when facing a different set of circumstances, Paul again uses reason and logic to present the case for God's existence. Okay, In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. And listen to the wording again. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That which is invisible can be clearly seen by using our reason and our logic. That which we consider invisible can be clearly seen by the evidence of that which goes on around it. You believe in a stealth planet because of the evidence of a gravitational pull of those objects around it. We can have evidence of an invisible God. Why? Because we can look around us at nature. All of what we see around us calls out to the fact that there is a God who created all of this. And Paul says, for that very reason, reason and logic, men are without excuse. Paul argues that anyone can attain to the truth of God's existence from using his or her reason and logic to reflect on the natural world. Okay? Does it sound to you like Paul's just leaping out into the darkness in faith? Does he go up before the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers and say, you just got to believe it. It's true, really. Get something from the you know, synagogue. Hey, listen, I got an idea for you. I don't think to back it up at all. But let me share something. And then they start asking him questions. He's like, oh, I didn't think you were going to ask me questions. Gee, Willikers, I better run away and hide in my cubicle. Holy mackerel. All I have is blind faith. <laughs> and you have all the answers. Give me a break. God says, come let us reason together. Paul lays it out and says, hey, you Epicureans. Hey, you Stoics. You're all, you, you guys, I love you to death, but you're completely wrong. And let's logically and rationally and reasonably walk through this whole concept of divinity, okay? As of, of a divine uh, presence. So Paul, Paul goes into it. He says, look at the natural world. And when I look at the natural world, it leads me to a set of questions. Maybe it's just me. I doubt it. Okay, I don't care what age you were. At some point, everyone pretty much asked these questions. How did I get here? Kind of scratch your head. How did I get here? Why am I here? Who created all this and where am I going? Those are some simple questions that all human beings, whether you live here or Africa or Asia or wherever else, at some point, when you look at the natural world around you, you breathe in and out, you look at your feet, you're actually here. And how did I, how did I get here? How did this all get here? Our reason and logic can lead us. This is extremely important, okay, when you're, when you're talking to someone. Our reason and logic can lead us to an understanding of God's existence. But it's our faith, not just our reason and logic, that allows us to take that final step into a relationship with God. That's extremely important. I have never argued anyone into the kingdom of God. Never. 
what I do in my office many times or out in the world many times is I'll ask someone, why don't you believe in God? Knowing that they're going to fire questions at me. Well, if there's a God, then blah, blah, blah. And if there's a God, why is there suffering? If there's a God, then how about this? And if there's a God, how about that? And what I do is I politely and calmly answer all of their questions to the best of my ability, to the best of my ability, because the reality is at the end of the day, all I'm trying to do, and I say this to them, is get them to a point where they're not taking some blind leap of faith. They're taking a step of faith. Have I answered your question? I say to them reasonably here. Have I gotten you to a point where at least that this makes logical and reasonable sense that it's fair for what I believe? Oh, yeah. Okay. So then, then, uh, then all you need to do is take a step of faith. What's your other question? Ding, ding, ding. So, okay, what's your other question? And at the end, I asked them, so I don't understand. What's keeping you from coming to a relationship with Christ? Uh, nothing. Okay, can we talk about that and who Christ is? And I, I walk them through that very, very nicely, gently, and I encourage them through the whole process. But my friends, I never ask anybody to take a blind leap of faith. I ask them to take steps of faith. You can't, and, and logic and reason will only lead you so far, but at the end of the day, it does take a step of faith to believe any worldview. You say, well, not, not, when, not when you're dealing with just, you know, take religion out of the question. My worldview doesn't take any faith. Oh, it doesn't? Then explain to me how nothing created everything. The, the answer I usually get for that is, that's just folly. Asking that question is just folly and foolishness. And the people in the back of their minds who are saying that to you to try and intimidate you intellectually are going, oh, please, God, oh, please, God, don't have an answer to this question because I don't have an answer. Just let him stop right there. I hope I intimidate him enough to stop right there because I don't have an answer for the question. So I just call it folly and silliness. And <laughs> why even talk about that? Why even talk about it? Because you don't have an answer for it. And the reality is you have more faith than I do. At least my first cause is God. Your first cause is nothing. Who has more faith? Think about it. I say that all the time. You are the most faithful person I've ever met in my entire life. I wish I had faith like you. What do you mean? Well, God's my first cause. It doesn't leave me with that much faith. You know what I mean? But in the fact that you would not have nothing and nothing created everything, that's a real leap. Good for you. You faithful person. I start singing hymns. Praise God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that, my friends, it, it really... It, it, we need to be able to take a step back and walk through those things because it ultimately will. It ultimately will take a step of faith, whatever you choose to believe. So I said to her, like I said in an earlier post, observing the natural world, the universe, and I've explained this to you, led me to belief in a God. OK, because you look at the world around you and it can lead you to a belief in a God. But the logic, but the next logical question for me was, who is this God? All right. I believe in a God out there somewhere kind of thing. But the next question you should ask yourself logically is, who is this God? Paul blended, OK, faith, logic and reason throughout his life and set a wonderful example for all Christians to follow. Ravi Zacharias, I'm going to close on this on this quote. Love. If you have never read anything by Ravi Zacharias, grab everything you can. We have some books out here. Uh, Ravi Zacharias wrote outstanding, uh, just incredible. God has spoken from without everything we see around us and from within. But man determined on his self-indulgent path represses the truth and misses the very imprint of God. You think about that and I know that's true. Now, as I close out here, 
Some of you thinking, oh, that was so cool. You know, I like this whole series. And last week we talked about Jesus and how the evidence for Jesus Christ being who he said he was. And, uh, you know, but I, you know, I like hearing about it. It builds my faith, but I can never share this on my own. That's just not true. And one of the ways I want to encourage you and help you to grow in your faith, this is one of the ways you can learn in a very comfortable environment. Ask the questions you need to ask, get into good discussions or in a life group, in a small group. If you, get it, if you get involved in a life group, you can ask some of these questions in a more comfortable environment. You can kind of iron sharpens iron, debate back and forth and connect with each other. And you can grow in, in maturity in Christ so that you'll learn a lot about your faith in life group that you can take out into the marketplace and you can share with those around you. And I'm telling you right now, most of the people you're going to interact with most are not Anne-Marie. Okay. There are people who are asking questions because they truly, and she does too, she wants answers as well, but they're asking questions they want an answer. They'll say, well, if there's a God, then why blah, 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 blah. Don't see that as an attack. They're asking a question they truly want an answer. I talked to someone this week who was debating, who was like talking with someone in his office, and, he, and the guy was saying, well, I don't understand. If God blah, God this or God that. And the other person talking to him wasn't Ravi Zacharias. He wasn't some incredible theologian. It was a, a nice young man who was sharing his, the love of Christ with his friend. And he, and he answered the person's questions. And the person didn't get all hyper about it. They said, oh, that, oh okay. That makes sense. Oh, I've never thought about it that way before. And if, you, if the person asks you a question that you don't know, what a great, here's a great answer. Man, that is such a great question. I, I've thought about it, but I never really researched it. I'm going to research that, and I'm going to get back to you. You know how you learn the best? I was in a class when I was in, uh, in college, and uh, the teacher was really nasty. And um, I didn't know anything, so all I did was sit in the front row with a Jesus loves you button. You know what I mean? Really bug him. And, uh, but he asked so many tough questions and I learn from all those difficult questions. We learn when we don't know the answer. So go to the website, look at the life groups, um, call the church office or materials right out here in the foyer about our life groups that you can pick up and you can learn about that. I want to I want to uh, close out this service um, with a video. I said last week we had a video, so we're going to close out the service with this video. This is where the rain ends video. This was used, put together by At Work on Purpose. Yesterday there was an At Work on Purpose event at Montgomery Community Church. It was awesome. There were over 600 people there. It was exciting. And the leadership of At Work on Purpose took our song that we created here at Grace Chapel, Where the Rain Ends, and applied it to uh, the workplace ministry. Here it is. <laughs> 